It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP fans? It's Amber Bradley in the podcast hot seat. I have a star-studded panel, but co-hosting with us today, editor-in-chief and owner of the D&D Daily, Gus Downing. Welcome, Gus. I'm stoked <laughs> to have you here co-hosting Hi, with me. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, Amber. Thanks. Okay, so really excited. We are talking Inform Act. We are talking ORC progress. We're talking midterms. We're going to get into the details with our two experts and then also new to NRF, Dave Johnston, Vice President of Asset Protection and Retail Operations. He's going to talk about the retail side. Ton to cover, a ton to cover. First introductions, John Gold, Vice President, Supply Chain and Customs Policy at the National Retail Federation. And Jason, I don't want to butcher it. You have to teach us. Last name. Jason Strachewski. Oh, that's easy. Okay, like so <laughs> Vice President, Government Relations and Political Affairs with the National Retail Federation. Really excited to have this discussion today. We're going to get in depth. But first, we have to start just framing it up. For the audience, we have all different types of listeners on uh, the treadmill, driving in their commute, all different types, all over the ladder. So, John, start with just framing up Inform Act for us. Why is it important to retail where we are today? Then we'll get Jason's feedback and we'll throw it over to Gus. But starting with you, John. Great. Thanks, Amber. Appreciate the opportunity to be on the, the podcast today. And I was glad to have uh, Gus on as well. So look, in, in general, the Inform Act is probably one of the strategies to help address the ongoing challenge of organized retail crime and you know products uh, illegally gained counterfeit that end up being sold online. And I think part of the issue, you know, for the past several years is trying to get at that issue of getting this illegally obtained merchandise off of websites that poses a threat to consumers, to the, the industry. Um, and it certainly is one of the key pieces of legislation that we've been focusing on for the past several years now. Um, you know, in general, it would target the online of stolen sale of stolen counterfeit and dangerous goods by requiring high volume sellers to provide key information to both online marketplaces and consumers. The bill has strong bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, has industry support all along the industry from retailers, marketplaces, law enforcement, uh, and other groups as well. So there is a big, strong push to try and get the Inform Act passed by Congress before they uh, end the year, which is coming very, very close right now. Um, so it, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it does. There are obviously some key points within the bill itself um, as far as you know, who defines what a high-volume seller is. Uh, actions that can be taken by the Federal Trade Commission, actions that can be taken by state AGs, the fact that there is now preemption language in the bill um, because we are seeing Inform Act passed on the state level. Um, uh, so that's kind of at a high, you know, high level what the Inform Act does. Yeah, and NRF has been huge in helping get this done for retail, um, and especially with all of the legisla legislation pieces and the addition of Dave Johnson and the retail side. So, all right, Jason, over to you to kind of give your perspective of this act. Sure. Thanks, Amber. And it's great to be with you and all your listeners and with our good friend Gus today as well. Um, not much to add to what John had to say. He covered it pretty well. Um, you know, we've been working for the past couple of years watching uh, retailers, law enforcement, and all these partners in the state start to try to tackle this issue, both using existing statutes on the criminal side, along with other resources, budgetary resources, to support ORCAs and other alliances between retailers and law enforcement. And it feels like the INFORM Act is one of the key pieces, a critical piece 
to addressing ORC in total. Um, obviously, trying to prevent folks from stealing the goods is number one. Uh, keeping folks safe, keeping associates and employ and and shoppers safe is number two. And then number three is trying to, those that do happen to steal is cutting off avenues for them to resell the stolen merchandise because that's what it's really all about for them is to try to to make a quick and easy profit. So the Inform Act at the federal level will create one national standard, and that's why the NRF strongly supports it. And we're going to try to get it done uh, in the hectic flurry of activity before Congress over the next week to week and a half. Yeah, so that's such a great baseline for what we're even talking about today before we get into the more specific ORC stuff. Okay, so Gus, the D&D has really done an amazing job covering all the different aspects of Inform, especially through the different state legislatures and everything like that. So I'm turning it over to you to kind of talk more in depth and pose your questions to our panel of experts here. Thanks. Um, first question I want to ask you is, I mean, we're looking at a bill that really took two years, if not more, uh, to pass. Um, can you talk to us about the journey where it started, you know, the journey of, of getting to where it is? And, and let's get into some of the detail about uh, the, the third party sellers, the definition of those sellers, you know, the restrictions placed on them. And then, um, you know, uh, just some of the restrictions around it, regulations. Uh, John, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, look, creating legislation is never an easy journey. It's never quick. Um, look, I've been working on these overseas-related issues going on 20-plus years, where you know we tried years ago trying to create uh, ORC-related legislation, defining ORC, getting it put into federal statute. Um, but we're glad to see Congress certainly has taken this up over the past several years, and they've recognized the increasing danger of ORC you know, at the local community level, the impact we're seeing on... Uh, employees, on consumers. You know, ORC is in the news every night now. There you're seeing a story on something happening, a smash and grab or something else happening. So I think the level of intensity of trying to address this issue certainly has increased over the past couple of years, and I think especially through the pandemic. So I think there has been an effort over the past several years to focus, you know, as Jason talked about, on the sale of the the goods, the stolen merchandise, the counterfeit merchandise. So that's where it kind of inform came about was trying to regulate it from that perspective. There's also, you know, efforts that we need to talk about as well is preventing the theft in general that we've got to try and address. But I think Inform goes after that illegal sale of that merchandise, uh, which is taken. So, you know, it's taken Congress a little while. And obviously you've got some give and take that happens and negotiations that happen. Um, you know, throughout you had different House and Senate versions of the bill um, and changes that were made. And I think where we ended up at the end of the day is a good compromise that brings all the parties on board in support of this bill, um, which makes it that much easier for Congress to pass. <clears throat> the fact that you've got all of industry supportive of this, law enforcement supportive of this, strong bipartisan support for this. So this you know, really would be an easy win for Congress just to, to pass this at the end of the day. Can you talk to us about that, 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 and Jason, if you can jump in, about that, you know, how you kind of negotiated the way through it and it starts off in the Senate version, and I understand that, you know, Amazon had some issues with that one. Um, and, uh, you know, moving down six, 12 months after working with them, I'm sure, you know, Etsy and eBay kind of jumped on board and, you know, uh, and agreed to it. But yet Amazon kind of stood out. And then it goes to the House version. You know, what were the changes? What were the, what were the things that needed to be done to get everybody on the same page? Sure. 
So the number one important issue in this for NRF um, was to make sure there was one clear national standard uh, for for the Inform Act, rather than a patchwork of different states taking action or having slightly different definitions uh, in their statutes. We wanted to make sure there's one national standard that preempts all the others. Uh, number two was really in the various marketplaces corner. Um, you had the various marketplaces coming together, including traditional retailers who started their own marketplaces. And they had a lot of input in the legislative process in hearing from their smaller sellers and making sure their smaller sellers were heard in the process and we believe that they were and that's what i think you saw in the final product it protects the privacy of the smallest of the small sellers but it also makes sure that it captures as many people selling high amount high volumes of goods high dollar amounts of goods to make sure that when a consumer goes shopping wherever it may be uh, whether it's online or in person they know they're buying a legitimate product from the legitimate seller and that uh, smaller individuals, small businesses that may one day grow into larger businesses, that growth isn't hampered uh, or their privacy isn't trampled upon. So we think it's a good balance in the law. It's gonna make sure that law enforcement can partner with the marketplaces. It's gonna make sure that consumers know what they're buying is legitimate. And it's gonna make sure that smaller businesses who are trying to get started out on these marketplaces have a chance to grow and succeed. Yeah, I didn't see the the, private businesses or the smaller businesses being protected in the first bill, quite frankly. And I did see it at the, at the end as it relates to verifying their address and, and such and bank information. It seems like they worked in some protections there so they don't have to provide their personal address given today's, you know, issues with crime and such. So th that was obviously, you know, uh, uh, a good addition. Were there some other things added in there for the smaller folks, for the smaller sellers, other than that? I think that's probably the most important. Obviously, you know, getting a proper definition of what a high volume seller is, mm -hmm. you know, setting the, the transaction level and the transaction amounts, you know, within a year, I think was was really important. Um, but I think, you know, having that that baseline level is really, really important. And again, protecting the privacy for the small sellers who are just starting out. Mm -hmm. was really important. And I think, you know, as any legislation goes, as you dig into it and get an understanding of what the what it will do and the impact it will have, that's when you learn some of these issues. And that's when they come to light and you try and make those changes. So that's why there was so much attention on, you know, continuing to have that dialogue and conversation and make sure that we we get this right and that there are these protections that are built in for some of those smaller sellers. Well, and I also saw that you had initially 200 or more discrete sales in a 12-month period amounting to $5,000 or more. But at the end, it, it added within a 12-month uh, period over the last 24 months. So it was, it was almost like you were trying to catch, you know, someone that, or, you know, that may figure out a loophole there. Is that, was that the thought process by extending it to, 20, to 24 months? Jason. I think so. I think so. I think that's one of the reasons why Congress decided to make those adjustments from its initial draft to the the final version that we're trying to get done was to make sure you were. I mean, these these are complex crimes. Uh, they occur across state lines. Um, it's also key that the bill provides enforcement opportunities to state attorneys general. Um, that's these are local crimes uh, in in towns big and small across the U.S. And I think the the National Inform Act kind of reflects that. It allows state attorneys general to bring enforcement actions. It protects smaller center sellers' identities so they can grow their business. But it also realizes that 
These are sophisticated criminal enterprises that are stealing these goods and then bringing them together and trying to offload them for a profit very quickly and easily. And that can happen within a matter of days or it could happen over a matter of years uh, in multiple jurisdictions. So I think the final product is a reflection of that. Yeah, yeah and obviously they're going to find the loophole. And, and if they can skirt, the, you know, they'll find them. Um, but you, you brought up the state attorneys. But in the legislation that ended up being signed, it says the state's attorneys can only bring a civil action against the individual. It didn't mention criminal. And it also uh, said that it was subservient to the FTC's uh, actions. So does that limit the state's attorneys from a criminal perspective going after those folks? Well, if in their state they have they have evidence of a property crime being committed um, at a significant level, they'll be able to use the powers of their state laws uh, to bring a criminal uh, action against them. Uh, at the federal level, you know, we thought it was it's important that they're able to bring they're regulating commerce here and they're making sure that folks cannot take advantage of our commerce laws to profit off of it. And then it's up to our law enforcement partners in every single state to bring criminal actions. Does the FTC have the the teeth and the and and the folks to be able to monitor and manage this investigative process, John? I think part of this is making sure they they should making sure they do making sure they have the the resources to do this. Obviously, FTC is upping their their enforcement capabilities, so it's important that they we continue to to work with them on making sure they've got the appropriate resources to to enact and enforce this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it's important that, and I think there's going to be an expectation from Congress that they do that as well. So, you know, Congress will properly fund the, uh, at the level they need to do this. So, David, being new, I want to get your input here. I mean, you've been following some of this, I mean, this, all of this, actually, and you've been very, you know, vocal about your support of it and such. Um, what's your impressions, Dave, of where we're at right now with the Informat? Yeah, well, first, first of all, you, 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 uh, you're right. I'm very new to this with the NRF, and honored to be with you know with John and Jason because the two of them and and uh, their team members and the retail members, you know, they've really carried this ball, you know, over ninety plus yards. And I feel like you know maybe I'm the extra lineman who comes in now and helps to try to get it uh, get an opening for them to carry it the next uh, the last few. But, you know, Jason really mentioned this. I think the the importance and the impact of the Inform Act, you know, to the retailer community, you know, is three things. You know, it's accountability, you know, and it's accountability to all online marketplaces um, across the board to be able to help protect, you know, not only the buyers, but also the manufacturers and the retailers of the of the goods that are being sold on there. And, you know, where one marketplace can't really manage their, um, their sellers differently or treat them differently than others. And, you know, as a practitioner coming from the practitioner side, you know, there were challenges when you're working with some online marketplaces and they're going to support you, but others that are unwilling to, to help you or provide in, in, any information uh, with seller visibility. The second piece is deterrence value, you know, removing, and John, John mentioned this, is removing the ability to use online marketplaces to resell stolen or counterfeit goods. It takes away their their financial capabilities and that ability to sell it. Um, and then the last thing is the investigative ability, you know, making it easier for online marketplaces and law enforcement and retailers to work together. So what they think 
you know, goods are suspected to be stolen or counterfeit or or unfit for public resale, you know, it's an easier means of collaborating with each other to to identify the sellers and investigate the issue. Well, it certainly does by bringing in the state's attorneys, Jason. It certainly does kind of bring the attention of all the state's attorneys, you know, not just to the online stuff, but to their own individual ORC laws that they've been enacting over the last five or six years, which gives them that criminal arm. So it, it kind of helps the ORC, to, you know, criminal laws, because right now we're not seeing a lot of ORC charges being filed. You know, certainly they're being filed for grand larceny or whatever it may be. But I, I think there's a, still a little bit lack of knowledge on their part, um, you know, to use that specific law. So we're going through a little bit of a growth cycle there. But at any rate, so let me, Jason, um, I was thrilled to see that there was actually some word bur verbiage added in here about authenticating like a fourth party seller where the third party seller would use, you know, another person to sell merchandise and, and once again, get around it, you know, the, the loophole, so to speak. That was brilliant to uh, include. Um, high volume third party seller used a different seller to supply the consumer product to the consumer upon purchase and that they must be authenticated uh, with the information described in the clause relating to any such seller, which is the tax ID, the you know address, phone number, email, and such. So um, that wasn't in the original version, was it? You know, I don't recall, Gus. I'm just the lobbyist. I don't get in the weeds of the details <laughs> of the policy. I let John Gold handle that. Hey, John, that wasn't in the original one. No, that wasn't in the original. Again, you know, as you go through the legislative process and understand the intricacies of how this all works, and recognizing the complexities of some of these systems, that's when you find out those other issues. So that's when you bring in these fourth party sellers and say, wait, we've got to take care of this issue as well. Yes. So it's all part of that kind of legislative process where you, you know, look at what the initial draft is, understand what the impacts are. And that's when you decide, are there things that aren't, that we're not impacting that we should, there are things, areas where we're not going after that need to be a part of that. So, you know, that's why, that's why it takes so long to get legislation through. Well, it's like whack-a-mole. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same thing as the hackers. I mean, they're going to find the weaknesses. I mean, look, the, these criminals are extremely smart. And again, this tries to get at the front end of the sale of the goods. We've still got to get at the issue of the theft of the goods in general. I mean, that's where other legislation we hope will we'll get at that issue. But this really is a, about the selling of the goods, um, which is what a lot of attention has been paid to right now. Well, you're, well, get, it, you're getting in on the back end. I mean, it's like the back end of the process. Okay. But, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't too long ago, right? When you think about the loss prevention executive screaming and the fact that, hey, this isn't shoplifting, right? I mean, so I'm I'm curious from you guys to know how that helped push along the Inform Act and these other things, because clearly it all ties together with the organized retail crime, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Homeland Security investigations, or you talk about all the new resources that they've added. We did a podcast recently with um, the Homeland Security Investigations uh, lead team, right? Where they're helping and partnering with the retailers on understanding how they can actually help make the cases. You know, Gus, that you were talking about, about the state legislature and bringing the appropriate charges. So I'm curious, you know, the, the, LP and AP community has been like, hey, it's not shoplifting. And that you feel like that was yesterday. But then all of a sudden, post-COVID, 
then you see the increase in, in crime, you see the economic conditions, you know, constraining. And then you're like, okay, well, this really is getting media attention now because it's incorporated with violence and all these other things. So all of a sudden the media is like, this is organized retail crime. And you've got all these resources added in the yeah. security in, in, space. Like, how does that go for you guys, John and Jason? Like, has that helped the whole process of getting this past the goal line? Yeah, I think, look, this has been the challenge we've been facing forever is trying to delineate between ORC and, and shoplifting. Um, you know, you know, this is not shoplifting. This isn't somebody coming in and stealing something for their own personal use, you know, onesie or twosie. This is somebody coming in, a complex gang, basically, coming in for the resale of product um, that they're not reselling themselves. They're selling to a booster or somebody else. And, you know, this has has gone, uh, you know, through the ties to overseas um, to some very not not nice people overseas. We know that there's a long history of that. Um, you know, one of our members has, you know, always talked about the fact that ORC is a gateway crime um, and leads to other and bigger and more dangerous things. And folks recognize that the 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 consequences aren't as severe in ORC as they are for those other more dangerous crimes. So that's why you've seen more folks involved in ORC. But I think the headlines you've seen over the past couple of years and the focus on stores shutting down because of these crimes really has gotten the attention of folks to understand that this really is an epidemic that we're seeing here in the United States that needs to be tackled and needs to be addressed. So you're seeing a renewed refocus of how do we address this? There's a big focus on crime and how do we address some of the, the crime issues that are there. And ORC is one of those things that that really needs to be addressed. And again, it's the the safety. It's not just the personal, you know, the SIDS, the, the, the taking of the product um, itself, but it's the, the harm potentially to the consumer to the, the the worker in the store. I mean, we're seeing more and more stories of retail workers being injured as a result of these ORC uh, cases. I mean, unfortunately, you've seen a case where, you know, one retail employee died as a result of injuries suffered as, you know, because of the, these gangs that are coming in. So I think that is putting more attention on this for legislators from all parties, recognizing that there is, a, there is an issue here that needs to be addressed and we've got to figure out a, a way forward on that. So that's why Inform has gotten such support that it has, you know, over the past couple of years. And that's the, the snowball effect. You know, we have the ORC problem, and then all of a sudden we run into the pandemic. We close 50% of the retail stores. We take everybody out of the retail stores hiding in their houses. But the guys that still need to steal to support their habits, they still have to go do it. They've got fewer stores to do it in, so it kind of stands out more. Meanwhile, you've got the downtown urban areas emptying out, and there's not many people downtown. So the crime that they're doing, the guys that still need to do it, is more visible. It's it's more, you know, it shines the light on it. So there were a lot of factors that were involved in the last couple of years that really brought it to light. I mean, the increase in gun sales, the increase in, in illegal guns, the, you know, the increase with the fentanyl push. Um, I mean, all of these things kind of played into it. And, and I, I don't think it's a gateway. I think ORC is an end result of a much bigger problem, much bigger problem. And my comment has been always, it's kind of a shame that retail has to get it from both ends. I mean, we are taking it on one end from ORC. And on the other end, now we're expected to pay billions of dollars for the opioid epidemic, you know, from the pharmaceutical pharmacy guys. And I think that's a little, <laughs> you know, and nobody talks to that, but, you know, hey, 
such a life. But anyway, so. <laughs> we bring Gus on for the spice. Gus brings the spice in here. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, so I'm curious, just to transition a bit um, into Jason and your perspective of the midterms. And I know Gus, you have some commentary right. on this, but I'm curious, Jason, you know, when you think about what's happening politically, we've never been so, you know, divided as a country, but you think about, you know, with everything retail is facing with o ORC and all of this legislation that's supposed to help, like what is, what does the forecast look like? Thanks, Amber. Great question. So obviously after the elections have now all been wrapped up and I think everything's been decided and, and the final um, runoff election has occurred just last week down in Georgia, folks are focused on the fact that they feel like Republicans seem to have completely dropped the ball and, and they had all the opportunity in the world to uh, not only win back the House, but possibly take back the Senate. And everybody's saying they fell short of those goals. Um, I think the result of the election is candidates matter. Candidate quality matters. Mm -hmm. But one thing that was definitely heard loud and clear in almost every exit poll uh, after the November 8th election was that crime was one of the top three issues on voters' minds. Yeah. So you need to put aside who won what uh, in Washington and realize that the voters everywhere uh, crime was a top three issue. Um, it impacted a lot of races. Um, it may have even impacted races where the, the candidate one may think was going to be tougher on crime actually lost mm -hmm. because set aside the politics of the election, candidate quality matters. But I think the American people by and large around the country want elected officials at uh, every level of government to address crime. And we've definitely seen that start over the past two years of the pandemic coming out of the pandemic. We're seeing new resources deployed in states like California, more money being deployed to state and local governments to, to fight ORC. We're seeing new partnerships and new laws in states like Illinois and North Carolina and Florida uh, to give resources to not only the retailers on the front lines, but also law enforcement, also the AGs to go after and combat ORC. Because if we don't make crime, if crime doesn't pay, it's going to be harder and harder for these folks to, to make money at stealing goods uh, however they want from retailers. So Inform Act is a critical tool to stop one of these pieces of this. Uh, what the states and local governments are doing to pump resources into stopping crime is another. Um, but we need to see this through and we need to get this across the finish line. We need more resources. We need more partnerships. We need to make sure crime doesn't pay. Uh, you know, If we just block off one thing and think we're done, uh, the criminals are going to go over here and find the next easiest avenue. They're like, they're like water. Water flow finds the path of least resistance, and so does crime. So, what what's left to get this uh, this particular inform act across the line? I mean, Biden hasn't hasn't signed it yet. I mean, what's left? What do we have to do as an industry to help your efforts as the government relations folks and the NRF to get this over the line and get them to sign it? We need every retailer out there. We need every LP professional out there to take action. The bill has passed the House overwhelmingly. The Inform Act has oh. passed the House overwhelmingly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Senate leadership, everybody in the Senate that we talk to and John and I lobby, support this bill and support getting it done. Um, it's all about finding the right legislative, in the weeds now, the wonkiness. It's all about finding the right legislative vehicle to attach it to so it goes over to President Biden so he can sign it. So it could pass all by itself out of the Senate. They could take the House pass version, get it done and get it over there. Or because of the time crunch they're under and all the priorities that have to get done,
they can take the Informac and attach it to another moving vehicle and it'll ride over the White House and President Biden will sign it. And that's what we're focused on at NRF is just making sure that lawmakers who've expressed support for this told us they want to help us get this done. All we're doing right now at NRF is making sure we hold them accountable, reminding them of that, and making sure that we keep this top of mind. And the best way to keep this top of mind is for all your listeners to get out there, pick up the phone or, or go to NRF.com and send a quick email to your legislators. We just need to keep it top of mind and we'll, we should hopefully be able to get it done. Now, two more things. Yeah, that it was overwhelmingly uh, passed. 381 to 39. And I'd love to see who the 39 people are, which is not easy enough to find out. <laughs> right. Might want to watch <laughs> out for them next session. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, one last question for you, Jason. You guys put on that call to action back in November 17th, I believe it was, for, you know, get out the fight. Could you walk us through, tell us how that did, and in, in we, we published it, obviously, in, in how you perceived your effort, our effort together, and in, in what that resulted in. It was great. It was um, all hands on deck. And thank you so much, Gus, to you and the team at D&D for helping spread the word. Um, a lot of our, our allied partners spread the word. So it was Fight Retail Crime Day. Uh, I believe we did it actually at the end of October. I think it was right, October. Like, Sorry. the last yeah. Wednesday in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the day. It resulted in well over 800 messages being sent to Congress in a single day, uh, which I believe is probably the second most we've had go through our system since the pandemic started. So it was a phenomenal outpouring of support. And we can't just do that and rest on our laurels. As you can see, you got to see these things through. We definitely moved the ball forward. We highlighted it. We got an overwhelming bipartisan vote out of the House. And now we just got to keep up the pressure so that this is top of mind, front and center, and they get it done. We got to remind them that all the voters went to the polls last month and crime was a top three issue on their mind when they voted. So this is one little thing Congress can do before the end of the year to address that concern. And we got to come back and keep doing more next year. Can you do another call to action before the end of the session? It's possible. Uh, John and I are spending every single day trying to find when are we going to get the Inform Act onto a moving vehicle that can get to President uh -huh. Biden. Once we have a clear target to shoot at, we'll tell all our people to start shooting. Okay, good. Excellent. Yeah, well, because, other, I, mean, we, I mean, we haven't stopped the call to action. We continue to push it out and continue to encourage folks to, to contact their members of Congress. I mean, this is, you know, as Jason noted, all hands on deck. This is the time for the push, and this is the time to make sure that the Informat gets done and over the finish line this year. Yeah, you know, our, our CEO, Matt Shea, just put out another call to action on Informat last Thursday. So in his email to all of our members. So we need to keep it up. Um, I don't know if we need to do a full dedicated day, but if we find a moving vehicle and we receive word that Informact is in play, we'll definitely let your readers and listeners know. Well, I'll tell you what, I have never in, in history, and I've been in this industry for 30 years uh, plus, <laughs> uh, but I've never seen the, the media coverage um, uh, of ORC before like I've seen in the last year and a half. And and, and here's what's really uh, just fantastic. I've never seen the CEO of all these retailers talking about it on MSNBC, on Fox, on all the various uh, uh, channels and, and shows and such, and mentioning it in, in a lot of their 
quarterly announcements. I mean, the Walmart, the Walgreens, you know, uh, there's just the amount of attention to it now. It's never been higher. So, well, and I know NRF is seeing that same swell of attention through your CEO summits and things like that. Everybody's really interested in this, and rightfully so. Which you guys have something, an, another little something coming up in January, which is the big show, which isn't just for only retailers because Dave Johnston, you have a panel that you're moderating. You want to talk a little bit about that? Give people a sneak peek of why they need to get to the big show this year. Yeah, you know, we have a session on working together to combat organized crime that'll take place on the 16th during the big show is one of the breakout sessions. Uh, you know, and Gus had mentioned, you know, this year we've seen a lot of CEOs and executives start talking about this issue and no better place than the big show to bring today's challenges, ideas and opportunities you know, to the collective industry. So um, I'll be there moderating a great panel. We have Millie Kresovich, the Senior Director of Asset Protection for Luxottica Retail. And uh, we have Adam Braun, the Executive Deputy Attorney General from State of Illinois. Uh, and then we're also finalizing a federal agency with a member of the DHS um, to, to kind of round out the panel to talk about is, you know, Jason had mentioned several times how the retailers and the state legislators and, you know, even federal agencies can work together and what we can do to try to tackle this issue. So, you know, doesn't matter, retailer, loss prevention, whatever you do in the retail industry, the big show is the place to be the 15th to the 17th at the Javits Center in New York City. <laughs> Way to go, yeah. David. There's, there's, <laughs> every time you go up there, there's more and more loss prevention asset protection executives wandering the floor. You never know who you're going to run into. Yeah. It's true. So get up to New York. And first off, thanks, Gus Downing. Uh, wait, one, second, one second, one second, Amber. We've got to cover one more bill. We got All a whole, right, okay. We got to cover another bill here, <laughs> and, and uh, it's the uh, HR Bill seven four nine nine, which was basically introduced in April of this year, uh, improving federal investigations of Organized Retail Crime Act twenty twenty two, which was. Uh, Introduced initially, I think, by uh, Young Kim from California, um, and also uh, co-sponsored by Eric Swalwell, I believe it is, um, a Democrat from California as well, uh, two hard-hit areas of ORC. Interestingly enough, if you look at a lot of the co-sponsors on this bill, they're all ORC cities and towns and areas, all of them, all 13 of them so far. And right now, there's only 13 co-sponsors, according to the what's you know a public record and it's nine democrats and four republicans so it's it's kind of bipartisan uh but the democrats are stepping up to this thing so i understand the progressives and such movement and the reform movements but the democrats like you said jason the number three thing is you know in the top three is crime so and they're getting behind it so um jason can you talk about where we are with that specific bill um, it's still relatively new. Um, you know, where is it in the path, so to speak? Along with Representative Kim's bill, which we work closely with our office on at the beginning of the year, we also have another bill, the Combating ORC Act, that came on the heels of that this fall and is okay. also bipartisan, um, led by, by Senator Grassley, Chuck Grassley, the longtime senator from yeah. Iowa. He has a bunch of bipartisan co-sponsors, including the senator from Nevada, another high ORC state, unfortunately. Um, and a couple others, including North Carolina. 
So we have these two bills and we NRF's going to continue to push them hard. Uh, sadly, we don't see a path forward in the, the final run up. We're trying to prioritize inform, but we're going to come back. Uh, at, we're not, only, not only are we talking about inform, we're reminding lawmakers about these two bills as well. But uh, if we have to, we'll come back early in the new year and get them reintroduced in the new Congress and start working on our sponsorship there. Because while the Inform Act, as we've been talking about earlier on the, the broadcast, has been all about you know trying to prevent folks from being able to easily resell stolen merchandise for profit, we do need some additional collaboration between not only federal resources, but state and locals. So the combating ORC bill, as well as Representative Kim's bill, will provide new resources and create task forces led by HSI at the Department of Homeland Security to make sure that all of federal law enforcement um, is leading an interagency task force, sharing their intel and knowledge with state and local partners across state lines so that those folks can prosecute these crimes. So we need to address, we need to cut off opportunities to make a profit for these criminal gangs, but we also need to go after them. And that's up to local law enforcement to use the statutes they have at hand to prosecute, but we need the federal government to help these local folks track these gangs across state lines. So this is another key tool that will help out uh, addressing organized retail crime. And, you know, so is Grassley's the one that is, uh, you know, the one you're supporting, I, I don't, I hate to say more than, than Young's, but um, which one is the one you see is the one moving forward? We're supporting both. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to do everything we can to get both of them to move forward, if not at the same time, separately. So we're are, they, gonna, are there differences between the two? There are some slight differences. I think uh, Representative Kim's was the first one out because she heard yeah. a lot from her community in L.A. about the. Oh, yeah. uh, she's on the Small Business Committee. She helped host with the House Small Business Committee chairman uh, and ranking member a roundtable on crime earlier this fall. We had a small business owner. From, Holland, from Beverly Hills speak at that round table. Um, she's in a high-end retail district and uh, she spoke with Representative Kim directly about the, the concerns. She has to keep her doors locked to her shop because of the crime going on in the community at other larger stores and jewelry stores. So if this crime affects everybody and I think young Kim, want, Representative Kim wanted to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And I think she's, she's working with the house sponsors for the bill, Representative Buck, and uh, Dina Titus from uh, Nevada. Correct. So there's there's a lot of ongoing communication between all sides um, on these bills, but we think both are very important, again, to help continue to push on preventing ORC from happening in the first place. So again, getting that better coordination at the federal and state level is really, really important just to actually bring the cases and work with retailers on doing that. Mm -hmm. When she certainly, or they in that bill, I mean, put some pretty restrictive timelines on you know, come back to us with your recommendations within 180 days. I mean, and, and that wording was in there two or three times and rather adamant, <laughs> I might add, that these three separate agencies have to really go after this, investigate it, research it, and come up with a plan. You know, and, and that was wonderful to see. Um, I don't know necessarily that they can reach such a thing, but, you know, um, and information sharing across state lines, you run into some issues with that. So I don't know if that's going to be an impediment later on, um, you know, uh, from a federal standpoint. But um, so you're going to you're looking at this coming back up next year under a new bill is, is what I is what I'm hearing. 
Correct. Uh, usually when this Congress wraps up, when the 117th Congress wraps up, the 118th will be sworn in on January 3rd. And all of these bills that were not addressed this year will have to be reintroduced. So we're going to be working with those sponsors to quickly reintroduce those bills um, and get the process started early new early in the new year. Yeah, they didn't. It didn't look from a standpoint of the probability of passage. Uh, their think tank didn't give it a very good prognosis on either one, quite frankly, or at least, you know, what I saw online is uh, been following. So, you know, maybe it's because of the shortness uh, and so much work to be done and such. such. So, but anyway. Uh, All right, so I've got one question on this and then we will have to wrap it up because I know yeah. we're running out of time, but, but what's really interesting to me and, you know, I haven't been in the industry as long as Gus, for sure. But I'm very, it's very interesting, you know, when you have the AP and LP community back when they were saying it's not shoplifting and everyone's like, eh, now everyone says, yes, it's ORC. The challenge is the investigation of these crimes to make sure that clearly the local jurisdiction understands it's not just shoplifting. And it's interesting, Jason, you talked about the Homeland Security investigation side, and they have this whole lead development team. Right. Which I did an interview with the um, uh, leader there, Alan Vanskoy, to to kind of talk about what do retailers even do right when they're trying to wrap these in a nice bow and then hand it off to that federal help. And their team is tr is really like that plugging that hole in between being like, oh, wait, we've got all this stuff running our retail organization. How do I move this forward to make sure these people, you know, really have to be accountable from law enforcement perspective. So, so I'm sure that's hopefully part from a retail perspective, um, Dave, that's going to help, that's going to help them say, we're actually here to help you take that ball and work with you to really get these investigated. I'll, I'll put that podcast out right after this one, because it's really helpful to the retailer to say, I don't know what to do now. I've got all of this wrapped up, but What's the next step to truly make sure it's organized retail crime? Yeah. yeah, you know, Amber, and that and that's really one of the benefits of the, you know, the Combating Organized Retail Crime Act, the bill, is to the it's to establish a center for combating organized retail crime headed by DHS, Homeland Security Investigations, you know, that's inclusive of all these other federal agencies as well as retail representation. And, you know, even to Gus's point of, you know, some strict reporting timelines of 180, we already have in the federal government some of these structures created. Fusion centers, joint right. task force have done fantastic jobs with drugs and terrorism and other types of, you know, criminal activity that's impacting the nation. So, you know, even DHS and Homeland Security Investigations, they've already kicked off their Operation Boiling Point. Yeah. So there are things that are already in progress here. Building this center, getting this bill passed, putting these elements in place and accountable to to Congress and DOJ and DHS. That's just going to package it all together and help us really push forward in trying to um, prevent, investigate, disrupt and destroy these criminal networks. And one thing, one thing, more thing I'd like to add, which is an interesting thing, and I'm sure all of you saw this, but the day after the vote in the House of the Inform Act, Amazon rolled out the, a new account health assurance program, which is uh, basically 
ranking the health of all of their sellers, third-party sellers, and sets out criteria in, in a grade level that they have to reach. Um, and if they don't, you know, they're going to get suspended and such. Uh, so this is kind of a proactive Amazon's getting ready <laughs> for the Inform Act, which was kind of great to see. Did, John, did you see that? Actually, because I hadn't did not see that announcement, unfortunately. Okay. Jason, did you see that? No, I did not. You're the newsman. That's why. He's Gus has all the breaking news. <laughs> well, no, I'm the news guy. <laughs> What well, I do. What's, Come on, man. What's cool, Dave, about what you just said, though, it's all, it, it feels like, and maybe I'm just too positive, but it feels like it, everything's coming together to really uh, make this beneficial for retail. Yeah, well, which, and, Am and Amazon doesn't want to say they made me do it. They want to come out and say we did it. And that's part of the, so I wouldn't go dipping my head that much, you know, but. At any rate. <laughs> well, it certainly seems like a, a finally an, an orchestra of coming together of yeah. all these entities, which we really appreciate NRF driving and making oh. that um, a huge, a huge success for the retail industry. All right, we're wrapping it up. We appreciate you guys stepping into the hot seat and my co-host today, editor-in-chief, Gus Downing. We appreciate Thank it. You. So thanks so much. We will, if you don't know what boiling point is. Watch the podcast with Raul Aguilar. He explains it perfectly. And we will put out the one with the uh, Homeland Security Investigations team lead shortly, which gives how you get involved with HSI um, for all the retailers. So thank you guys so much for stepping into the Talk LP hot seat. We will talk at you later. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Amber. Cause, 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 no one can do it like